the time we're coming in offense ready because we hadn't stopped them all day. And, um, you know, I was hoping to get a stop right here, and we should have um, if we make plays. But we certainly – you anticipate them – scoring or at least being prepared if if they score that you have an answer we can't think the game's over offensively we're always thinking about okay what could happen so we were just talking we knew we you know we had three timeouts and really had plenty of time I mean we worked two minute drill every Sunday night in practice and every Thursday in practice and and um really um uh, you know, felt confident with three timeouts and Spencer Rattler at your quarterback at your at the quarterback position. Thought we were going to go win the football game. To be honest with you, and uh... all right, welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Pauline and Alan. And yeah, I mean, Beamer there sounds pretty uh exhausted frustrated um he was a little emotional after that game uh we'll talk about some some more of his comments uh following the 41 to 39 loss uh for homecoming for south carolina and in a game that they gave up a 10 point lead in the final five minutes uh of the fourth quarter um there's a ton of different directions i guess to to go here uh but i don't think that you can really talk about this game without talking about the defense, which is why I, I started with that quote. Um, before we get fully into that game, let's share some positive. Let's start Let's start a little <laughs> bit of positive. There's, uh, so usually we start the show talking about recruiting. Um, yesterday, South Carolina landed their 16th commitment of the 2024 class uh, by fully um, p- pulling off the flip of four-star athlete Lewis Solomon. Uh, he was committed to Auburn. As of the beginning of last week, uh, decommitted um, very quickly, scheduled a visit to South Carolina this weekend, and then committed to uh, Beamer on Sunday. Uh, Beamer tweeted out a welcome home Sunday morning. Jalewis Solomon announced that commitment yesterday afternoon. So there you go. There's your bright point (laughs) of the weekend. Um, And that might be the bright point of the show. Uh, (laughs) It's going to probably get a little bit more more negative from there. all right, you were both there on Saturday. Uh, Pauline got a national TV appearance there she <laughs> uh, as she was um, taking some pictures on the sideline when Mario Anderson made that hurdle, which she got a really cool angle on our Instagram at Rivals Gamecock if you want to check out that replay, one of the high points um, on Saturday. Um, and then Alan, of course, in the press box and was able to ask some questions to, to Beamer in the media room after the game. Uh, let's hear your initial reactions, I guess, uh, from what went down on Saturday. I'll start with you, Pauline. Uh, you're oh, uh, a Gamecock, you're a Gamecock alum. You were there, you know, sort of celebrating homecoming while also covering for us. Um, how, how did that, how did that one feel? I honestly was pretty shocked at our, uh, offense. I was like, you know, typically every week we're talking about, um, how, not great they are and honestly like you mentioned earlier our our defense was really uh lacking in this time i think i mean our offensive line wasn't perfect uh, to say the least but like i honestly was more impressed with their like 180 over the bye week so that was one of my things that i noted and then wow giving up a game like that in less like Beamer said it on the field I was like 
40 seconds left on the clock. We had about, I think there was either two or three timeouts left. Like we can stretch that and actually use that time wisely. And we did it. I mean, I don't know. It definitely also didn't help that the fans were coming closer and closer with the intention of rushing the field. Talking with goodbye to the Gators. I was taking videos. There was, a, there was yeah. a mock Gator chomp, I believe, when South Carolina went up. Oh, down. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh. You know what? Yeah. I even said, I was, like, oh, no. I even said sitting next to um, one of the student reporters, it feels a little bit early for that. There was, I think it was two minutes left, at least. Like, no, it was, it was after the Simon touchdown. It was before yes, the extra like point, which got botched. So maybe that was the. Yeah, that was the turning point. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Karma. yeah, we'll have to totally, talk about that. Totally forgot too. about that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Okay, so a lot a lot there. I do think if we're talking positives and, and positives to take forward, it seems like South Carolina maybe found their best alignment on the O-line That's with a little possible. tweak there. Um, so we saw Garjulo, who had been playing left guard, uh, but had spent some time at center at Yale, move over to center. We saw Vershawn Lee, who had been playing center, move out to right tackle. Um, and then you had your two freshmen still, left tackle, Tree Babalade, right guard, um, Trovon Ball, and Ja'Kai, I mean, not Ja'Kai Moore, Trey Jones. Jones playing uh, left guard. And and that alignment did work really well, especially in the run game. We saw um, more consistency, I guess, in the run game than we've seen all season up to this point, except for maybe against Furman. Um, so, yeah, offense look good, specifically some of the weaknesses on offense that we've talked about all season look like they were cleared up against a pretty reasonably good defensive front uh, in Florida. On the other side of the ball, though, uh, defensively, obviously, <laughs> uh, things did not go super well. You give up 41 points to a middle-of-the-pack offense. You give up over 400 yards passing to a mediocre Graham Mertz. Um, Alan, I know you wrote a good bit about the secondary, which we considered a strength of this defense going into the season. Um, so yeah, what did, what did you see on Saturday? I think it kind of has to begin and end there. I and mean, that's definitely the first thing I thought when I saw the way the game ended, the, you know, what I've been thinking about the two days since, if you would ask any of us, you can go back and listen to our shows in August and July. Where do you feel good? What is, what makes you feel the best about this team? Okay, Nick and DQ back at safety, two experienced corners. David Spaulding's healthy. You're bringing in a Jalen Kilgore as a freshman. Like, it's not there. I think you can – you know the talent's there. You saw it happen last year. You saw them play well. I don't know if it's maybe more on the corner, if maybe losing Cam Smith and Darius Rush is mattering more now than you thought it was going to. I don't know if that's a scheme thing, a coverage thing. We saw some – we saw a lot of man ball out there. I think you had a note about the one-on-ones and – I think that's kind of where it has to start, too, is you didn't win enough one-on-ones again, but you didn't win them with the guys you thought maybe you felt the best about out in space. Um, I think it just has to start there. Is if you had to draw up a game to win July, you'd be up 10 with five minutes to go with your secondary the way it looked, um, and you didn't get it done. Yeah, and I do think that the point you made about Cam Smith and Darius Rush is something maybe we didn't – stayed enough uh, heading into the season because we felt like Marcellus Dial was going to step up. I think we also trust uh, Torian Gray's talent evaluation and um, development, uh, at least with everything that he's shown throughout his career. Um, but yeah, right now you do not have 
anyone playing to the caliber of what Cam Smith and Darius Rush played last last year. And I think that was key in this game because what you tried to do schematically um, was you tried to stop Florida's run game and force Graham Mertz to throw the ball and beat you in one-on-one matchups. And South Carolina did that <laughs> schematically. But they lost the one-on-one matchups. Um, and I think, yeah, if you have Rush or Smith out there playing one-on-one uh, in man coverage on the on the outside, that probably some of that works out a little bit differently. Especially, I mean, some of those some of those balls put up put up by Mertz were very duckish. <laughs> um, and it was simply Rick, Rick, Ricky Pearsall or, or someone else yeah. just uh, out battling um, uh, the defender. But I guess this this kind of leads to something else too. Is like. Okay, at what point do you stop manning Ricky Pearsall? How many times have we heard Shane Beamer talk about opponents doubling would get? At what point do you double Pearsall? At what point do you maybe go zone? If it's fourth and eleven, do you really need to play man? You know what I mean? Like, it's tough because I think that that's they were also having some success, especially in the second half, especially in the third quarter, dialing up some pressure on Mertz, mm-hmm. um, which was causing him to make some bad decisions. Um, was causing him to miss even some open receivers. Uh, so if you if you aren't feeling super strong, I guess about your secondary, it, you're better off putting some pressure in his face. I, it, it was a little bit of a catch twenty two where I felt like <sighs> the the aggression <laughs> the aggression from Clayton White and his scheme has served the deep a, a under talented defense well in the past. And it just simply never came to fruition on Saturday. They never got that turnover uh, in a key moment. They never were able to get off the field uh, in a key fourth down. It was really just these these moments. If you look at the stats, it's actually really surprising. I wrote about this in my rapid reaction. They held Florida just four of 15 on third down, which if anyone was watching the game, that probably feels like a surprising stat. Yeah, it does. But Florida was for three for three on fourth down. Yeah. All in the quarter. Um, and uh, a lot of those earlier third downs were kind of in key moments, third and longs, um, where it felt like you had an opportunity to get off the field and you simply couldn't. I want to go back to uh, really quickly your point about Cam Smith and Darius Rush, because I've been thinking about that since. And because I really didn't think twice about it, but Cam Smith has always been a very like, and Darius Rush, even though I feel like they didn't get as much publicity. I mean, Cam Smith did, but like, we, we don't have anybody, we don't have anybody like them at the moment. I can't really name one person that is as fast as Cam at the moment. Like, well, it, and it may, it may be a talent thing, but I also think it's the attitude a little bit. Like, uh, from a defensive secondary standpoint, you have to have that guy that's just, like, kind of a jerk. <laughs> um, and I felt like... <laughs> Crazy like I, that. Yeah, and for for better or worse, and usually better, Cam Smith was not afraid to get a pass interference sometime. You know, he was, he was a guy that was going to be in your face every single play. And I have not seen that level of aggression from hardly anyone else. I see it every now and then from Marcella style. Um, but just across the five guys in the secondary, it doesn't seem like that attitude has necessarily translated. Now, some of that I do think has to do with the youth and an experience. We're talking about a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. I think that's something that can develop over time. Um, but there's just not, I guess, a confidence or swagger 
uh, in that uh, secondary. And on the opposite side, I think you have seen that offensively from several players. Um, I'm thinking of a moment early in the game where Spencer Rattler could have gone out of bounds and lowered his shoulder. Yeah. Um, and oh. <laughs> I'm sure the coaches weren't stoked about that. No. But it, did show, it did show like a little bit more of a killer mentality on the offensive side. And I think we've seen that at several times throughout uh, the year. But defensively, I just don't know who your emotional leader is at I the moment. That's be the guy. Yeah. It, it, sh- it should be. But I mean, I think he's very. Uh... I mean, he was utilized a lot. Um, this he, 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 he played. He played a pretty good game. Yeah, I mean, it's... but I think he's very like he works well with a very small group of people in the sense like Stone so getting hurt. That's another thing too. I I'm not interested in playing the excuse game. He gave up 41 points to Graham Mertz. Stone Blaine getting hurt didn't help. But yeah, I mean... that was a tough one. I mean, I saw it on the field, and I mean, getting knocked uh, out of breath like that is definitely hard. And a lot of us on the sidelines were like, he just got pancaked by a 300-pound. I guess we should mention that Mario got hurt, too. Um, yes. Get, get more tomorrow from Beamer, but Mario, Stone, and Vershawn Lee all had tests yesterday per Beamer. They'll yeah, update yeah, Tuesday. And those are all three guys that you're, you're really going to need <laughs> down the stretch. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out whenever we hear from, from Beamer tomorrow. Um, from what I could tell, Mario got hurt, but then came back in and finished the game. We'll see if, uh, you know, that was mostly just adrenaline or, or what? He was on the field that last drive, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, that's what I'm saying. He kept playing after going to the tent. Um, Animal. So before we move on completely to the offense or move away from this DB uh, discussion, I have the PFF grades for Ooh, the goodies. DBs. Um, who do you think rated out highest of the like eight DBs that played on Saturday? I mean, you're counting guys who maybe played like two or three snaps. Well, just, it doesn't matter. Uh, I thought Kilgore played pretty well. That's, yeah, that's it. So Kilgore, (laughs) uh, 70 snaps, he rated out at a 69.7. And then you have Marcellus Dial, 86 snaps, rated out at a 65. The rest of the guys are in the 40s and 50s. I do want to say, though, it's something I noticed watching the game back yesterday. And look, I get it. Marcelo Style took a bad angle. He missed a tackle. If he makes a tackle in the fourth and 11, you probably win the game. I'm talking about the one with like six minutes to go down on South Carolina's sideline. Jalen Kilgore was not on the field in that play. Wasn't hurt. Played 70 snaps. Fourth and 11, obvious passing down. Question mark, Clayton White? He was yeah. being a textbook football player and doing exactly what he was supposed to. No, be. I know, I know. Sell took a t- t- he took a bad line to the ball. Yeah, it, it was bad. Um, that's going to happen. I'm more wondering if there's someone behind him, or if you're in a better position to make a tackle with your safety leading the team in tackles on the field on fourth and eleven, which he wasn't. I feel like we don't yeah. utilize those types of players as often as we should. <laughs> I mean, I think that brings us to another point, which is how thin the margin of this game was. Yeah. Um, So even though some of those stats I read off earlier about the total yardage, obviously the overall score, all those things looked bad for the defense. um, You really did play well enough through most of the second half uh, Mm -hmm. to allow the offense to get back in it. Of course, build out that 10-point lead. Um, But there are these crucial moments in that second half where South Carolina just didn't make game-winning plays, uh, and those came back to bite you. So, 
I wrote in the rapid reaction, call it devil in the details, right? So uh, one particular moment you can think of is you early in the game, jump off sides on a uh, PAT by Florida, allow them to go for two, they convert it. Uh, and then later um, following that touchdown by Josh Scheiman, they put you up 10, uh, you have a bad snap and missed the extra point which really starts to make the math work out in a fun way, especially when the final margin is two. Um, of course, that probably, <laughs> it's not as it's not as easy as saying directly. Yeah, that's it's a safety point, final mark, but, but, but also they wouldn't have been able to take that safety right. uh, with confidence. And also um, in the drive that Rattler needed to score a touchdown. You only need a field goal. Exactly, which, yeah. the, you know, you're... Uh, the interception that Rattler threw at that point, there's 36 seconds left on the clock and uh, you are like, on your own 35 yard line or so. Yeah. You've gotten one first um, down to join or the play before. Exactly. But if, before. but if you only need a field goal, you're not necessarily having to like just push the ball, right. desperation throws and stuff. So yeah. um, I do think that that math definitely didn't work to your advantage in a game so tight. And then the other thing is just the three fourth downs that you give up, including a fourth and 10 and a fourth and 11 on the final two drives that allowed Florida to score 14 unanswered points. I mean, you're that you're you're one play away, you're an inch away. Especially I think the one that probably hurts the most was the one to the the backup tight end or whatever for Florida. What's his I can't think of his name. Fourth right and now. eleven. Boardingham? That's the Boardingham. one Cell takes a bad line and misses a tackle. Right. Kilgore's not on the field. Yeah. I mean, he threw that well short of the sticks. That's a behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Three or four yeah, if that. Um, so I don't know. It's that's one of those plays that everyone involved, including the decision that you just uh, mentioned about Clayton White not having Kilgore out there or whatever, everyone involved <laughs> is going to be kept up uh, late nights, just hyper analyzing every single aspect of that for a long, long time, I think. And that actually is going to be the interesting point as they have to go on the road to Missouri, on the road to Texas A&M, is like, how long does a game like this linger in your consciousness? Because you got to find a way to wipe this clean and move on. Pauline, do you want to take that? I think um, I actually, you know, me and my uh, gut feelings and the mental part of the game, but like, I would be even deter like more determined than ever coming into this Mizzou game. Like, after this, like heart, like heart wrenching, and freaking Shane Beamer said it too. Like, it just was heartbreaking. Like, it was something that shouldn't. I mean, you can't say it shouldn't have happened, but. The effort, like, was unmatched from anything I have seen before of them playing. And they're going to come back with more of a fire in their belly. For Here's, here's where I would turn the page. I kind of think it's easy to get frustrated as an offense right now. Uh, although the offense did some things that I really, really took issue with. We can talk about those in a minute. Um as a defense, as a secondary, especially, yeah, I mean, it's coming out of the tube. It's coming out of the tube, or it's not at this point. Like, you got to have some kind of. I'm not going to use the word pride, but like, I thought that would, I used the word rock bottom in what I wrote because I don't think it's going to get much worse than 910 passing yards in two home games. If it's going to get better, you got a pretty good opportunity next week. Mizzou's got a good passing game. Luther Burton's an All American wide receiver. Like, if you are better than you were showing. If you say you're better than you're showing next week's as good a chance as any to at least try to shut down a pretty good passing game in a tough environment and get yourself back. I, in think, the win column. 
I think the other thing that we haven't mentioned defensively is the missed tackles. I don't have the number, but I know it's bad. <laughs> I was trying to oh, find a statistic this morning. <laughs> I haven't seen anywhere actually count them up yet, but um, that was that was not good tackling in space, and uh, you don't want that as you head into someone like Luther Burden. I mean, Ricky Pearsall is a nice possession receiver that's been reliable to get open and, and catch the ball or whatever. He wasn't making a ton happen after the catch. If you miss that first that initial tackle against Luther Burden next week, he's gone. Yeah, that's six. So, yeah, so that's gonna it's gonna be another thing. Um, I do. All right, let's talk about the offense a little bit, um, and then I do want to get into some of these narrative, like where are we at in the, this point of the season, where are we at in this point of the Shane Beamer era, because this was a must-win game. We pretty much all agreed uh, before this one, and now the stretch is not good, but we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Offensively, Spencer Rattler continues to put up big-time numbers. He finished the game 23 of 30 for over 300 yards passing, four touchdowns, 77% completion percentage. I mean, statistically, you can't really ask for much more. Um, he's still continuing to be impressive and play out of his mind. I will say, if I'm going to give one sort of uh, criticism uh, of Rattler, is we have seen a couple of times, I think, throughout his two years here, when the game is close and there is a pressure moment on his back, uh, it hasn't always worked out super well. Um, I mean, I, I do think we saw maybe an example against Clemson last year where he was able to kind of uh, keep it together long enough to, to, to pull off juice. that. Yeah. Upset. Yeah. But for the most part, we've seen last drive interceptions. Now, again, they're not ideal situations. You're in a pressure packs moment. Um, the odds are against you statistically and all of that at that point. So I don't want to like make too much of that. Um, but I do think we've failed to see five or six times now um, him be able to kind of put things on, on his back in that pressure packed moment. Again, you scored 39 points. You scored enough points that you should have won. I think you have to put the majority of the blame on this one on the defense. But if I want to give one criticism of, of Rattler thus far. That's actually not where I was going to go with uh, Did you have something, Pauline? I was going to actually say the exact same thing that Caleb said. Is that like the whole under pressure uh, situation we have seen with Rattler over the past two years is very true. And it's very evident when it goes down. And um, there were moments where I was at the – on the other side of the end zone and uh, Xavier Leggett was down continuing to scramble in circles to stay open and then ended up, you know, never receiving the ball because like, Spencer was too, like, too distracted with, I guess, everything else going on in the field at the moment, but. Pressure in his face too. Like, again, I don't want to put too much on him. Well, like, absolutely not. I'm just saying the last two minutes of the game were very much of a reversion back to what we have been seeing in the past versus the pro the progress he has made, I guess. I'll be honest. I don't think you even need to take it there. There are two possessions in that game that I think really, really bother. I, if we're doing the blame thing, I'd put like 80% defense. Oh yeah. 10% special teams and 10% <laughs> offense and or 5% offense, five coaching. Like we don't have to do that, but um, I said it at halftime to someone, you get the ball two thirty-one to go in the first half in a tie game exactly the way you draw it up when you win the coin toss and defer you get a chance to stack scores you get a first down there wasn't even a three and out you get two runs from anderson a four and a six clock is under two minutes that ball can't go back that, that just can't happen um 
even if you don't score there, you can't go three and out in less than, I mean, Florida used timeouts, but it was three and out in, I think, 20 seconds after that first first down. Um, you you missed a block on right. first down, Rattler throws it away. Oh, go ahead. I said you gave up a field goal to Florida. Yeah, right? that's Florida what I'm saying, there. like those three points there. Um, you missed a block on first down, a short pass on second down. Babalade missed a block on third down. Rattler gets sacked. That That's situational football. That just can't happen. And then the other one um, – Four minute drill. Yeah, exactly. I I don't think I need to really go into what happened there. I think we said all summer our big question was if you get the ball back up five minutes in a tight SEC game, can you run out that clock? No. Um, you get the first down on the penalty, which was a big break. Um, was it rough in the passer penalty, right? On Florida. Yeah. Yeah. So you get the yeah, one first which, down. Even that was like you got bailed out. I don't know yeah, what. I don't know if that was the call or if that was Rattler just improvising. But he threw a deep pass down the field when you're trying to run the clock. I, yep, you got I it. it. It was a weird call to me. I mean, luckily you got bailed out in that situation, but still didn't work out. But obviously. yeah, you miss a block on first down. Anderson loses two yards. Second down, short ball. Florida rushes everybody on third down, and actually Rattler makes a good play to get that ball off to Knox and use a little more clock, uh, keep it in bounds, but. You you lost up front on two drives, one at the end of each half that led to 10 Florida points, and that's a football game right there. Yeah, um, and I don't know. We saw like a little bit of a stubbornness to run. I think they got a little bit predictable on first down there for a bit, although then they played into that predictability, predictability later on a first and goal where they had a play action pass and scored a touchdown on it um, that I thought was really nicely done. So. I don't know. I, I give Loggins play calling a B plus, um, a maybe even a minus. I mean, you scored thirty nine points against a pretty good defense. Um, I wouldn't put it in log. I think you just got to win up front. He just, I mean, yeah. I just pointed. I think four plays in those two drives where you just missed a block and Florida got home. It's the key moments, and and that's where I'm wondering if it's the youth of this team a little bit. They haven't learned how to win uh, in these key moments because you think about really all four of the losses thus far. There were moments where if you seize the momentum, uh, you had opportunities to be in the game, uh, to potentially win the game, especially in this one, obviously, when you have control with five minutes left up 10. Um, but even you think back to Georgia, you had your opportunities. You think back to UNC, you had your opportunities. And I think, yeah, it's maybe somewhat to blame on on how young the team is. And, and you like to think that uh, if they can stay together, and continue to build or whatever that that's something that they'll learn over time um but yeah it's it's frustrating to watch <laughs> how about that yeah and you gotta win one of these eventually i mentioned i'm, just, I'm not just talking about this season or in, you gotta figure out the only way to learn how to win is to win you gotta get a close game i know mississippi state was a seven point game but you were up 10 and then they kicked the field goal with two minutes left and you just fell on an onside kick a really tight game late. I'm talking either you have the ball down a score or tied with a minute to go, or you're up a score with a minute to go, get a stop. You need to win one of those. And other than Clemson last year, that's the only one I can really think of that you've had the last couple of years. I'm just kind of going through off the top of my AM, I guess you had to stop a Hail Mary attempt, but even that, you were up two scores late and you let AM get back in it and recover an onside kick for a chance to do that. Um, you got to win one of those just somehow. And I mean, one of my things is, like we mentioned last uh, time I was on here, but you got to accept the team for what it is at this point. Like, the players are who they are. 
it's more of at this point we are throwing everything in the kitchen sink and playing creatively as we can trying new strategies this was the first time that i actually i could be wrong and just haven't paid attention before but we had uh we were being smart with our timeouts and actually like playing and strategizing with the play clock way better than i think i have personally seen in the past but with that being said florida played uh, the clock out better with eight seconds on than we had with two top, uh, two timeouts left. So, I mean, one timeout left, regardless. I, I mean, like, like Alan mentioned, it was masterfully set up uh, as far as you deferring at the beginning of the game and being able to stack possessions and stuff. But, yeah, you didn't take advantage of it. Um, you got the ball back with an opportunity to run it out, and you didn't take advantage of it. So I don't think that there was anything necessarily wrong with – clock management um no, i just think it's like but... different times you have to focus like we have to try and focus on different aspects of the game to like get us ahead at this point right. like, we need to take advantage of other things and focus on not saying that it's a bad thing but that could be a great tool for us considering we don't really have the power that we need on the field at the moment all right we've hit the turn or do you have anything else on that? No. Uh, I mean, my only other thing uh, is you're kind of saying something that I feel like we see we saw Beamer say mid-game and after the game, which is that I don't put a bunch of this on scheme or coaching or play calls or, or anything like that, offensively or defensively. But um, you had a very frustrated Beamer mid-game when he was uh, asked on the field, like, what's going on on defense? He said freaking do your job. <laughs> um, and then after the game, and I, I saw he clarified on Sunday as well. Um, he's like, the calls are there. They're just not being executed at the moment. And he was particularly talking about pressures and stuff. I know you, you wrote a tweet about that yesterday, Alan. Um, it seems like there is a level of frustration between and a disconnect between what is the right thing to do and what is actually being executed at the moment. Yeah, I still, in some ways, put that back to coaching, too, because if you're not teaching the technique right, all right, well, that still happens on the practice field. That's still, you know what I mean? That's I think that's just a shared blame thing for everybody. I think now we're at the point where, okay, you're two and four of the turn, two tough road games coming up. And I know you have the note here in our note. Where do you go from here? Yeah, and that is the essential question. And it... In many ways, it could become an existential question very quickly if the thing were to were to fall apart from this point out. But you think about uh, what's left on the schedule. You need four wins to get bowl eligible, and I think anything less than bowl eligible is going to be considered a d disappointment this season. Um, so you probably can still put down Jacksonville State as a win. You probably can put Vanderbilt down as a win, although they played pretty well uh, against Georgia this past Saturday. <laughs> Um, but let's just put those two down as a win. You still have to find two more out of road trips at Mizzou, at Texas A&M, and then tough home games against Kentucky and, and Clemson. Do I think that they can win two of, the, two of those four? I absolutely think that they have the potential still to win two of those four. They haven't been blown out by anyone this year. It's felt like they've had a chance against every, every team they've played thus far this year. Um would I bet that they're going to win two of those four? Uh, it'd be really hard to to say so at this point. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's the real question. Like, what do you have to do uh, to maybe split Texas A&M? That's uh, kind of your math at this point. Um, um, yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to have to win all of your home games from here on out, which doesn't seem very likely. Yeah, that's your math at this point. I think you hit it right. Split the next two, clean up Jack State, Vandy, and then you're five and five going into those last two home games and try to grab one more of those. If you're looking for hope, Kentucky struggled a lot. That's two straight losses after they started five and zero against the soft schedule. I still don't think Clemson's infallible, but I think at this point, has this team earned your benefit of the doubt? No, and that's kind of where it starts for me. And I, I want to be careful how I word this because I'm not implying that you're going to bench Xavier Leggett and give all the snaps to Kelton Henderson. Like that's not what I'm saying, but. At some point, I think this does have to kind of turn to freshmen, turn to the future, because this clearly this season's not going where you wanted it to. I mean, even at best, you're eight and four, which just matches last year. A realistic goal is six and six, seven and five. That's still a step back from last year. I'm not saying your season's over. Again, I'm not saying bench every upperclassman for a freshman. That's not what I'm saying. But you have to start looking towards the future a little bit, I think, and just trying to figure out what might work for you next year. Um, cause it's, it's not a lost cause, but I think you're teetering. I think I said you're on the edge of the cliff right now is the way I put it in the story. Yeah. So I'm trying to think back to how things felt following that Florida game last year, right. um, where you played your worst game of the season. Uh, the boo birds were starting to come out. Uh, the forums were starting to light up with, uh, you know, gloom and doom and and all this I, be, I believe those were the exact words that beamer used after that the gloom and doom um is this the highest scrutiny point of the beamer era thus far um because personally i feel like it is but i also am wondering if i just don't remember the feeling uh i guess almost a year ago after that florida game before when they very quickly quieted things down the, the following two weeks. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think? Is this like starting to feel like uh, a tipping point? I mean, you, you said edge of the cliff, a, a tipping point uh, where things could go one way or the other. Maybe. I think what? like Alan mentioned, you can't get lower than this, really. I mean, it would be nice to have another redemption tour against uh, Missouri, but clearly our redemption tour uh, this past weekend didn't go as planned. But you really like, and like I mentioned earlier, the fire in the belly, that's where I'm coming from in my perspective wise. But me and Alan, I think both are on the same page in regards to what else are you going to do besides like just start over at this point it's not the end of the world you have to accept the team for how like who they are nothing's going to change personnel wise with five or six games left or that's yeah that's it yeah that's it. and i don't i don't think that you would put beamer anywhere near a hot seat scenario no, any at seat. any point this season i think even if you lost out he's probably not in danger of being fired or anything. I mean, he, no. his his seat would be quite hot going into next year if he lost out. <laughs> well, I mean, if you lose to Vandy at Jack State, then yeah. I mean, there's a. I'm just, I'm just talking about. I'm keeping this in planet Earth. I'm not. 
No, they're not firing a coach. They're not firing a, a coordinator going into a week eight game. It's like, that's not going to happen. No one's saying that should happen. I, like I said, I think for me, this starts to become, I think the point you made about learning how to win is incredibly accurate. Um, you need to learn how to win. And more than anything else, you need the young guys on this team to learn how to win. And the only way to do that is to do it, to have them in positions to do that. Um, that's kind of where I would set it up now. Is, is just I don't question, you know, I don't question effort. I do think there's coaching questions to be asked a little bit just in terms of some of the technique, um, some of the decision making personnel wise. I still, the Kilgore not being in that fourth down is still been thinking about that. But you're two and four right now. No, your, your program is not on fire or, you know, because you lost to Florida at home. Yes, I think this season might be cooked. And it definitely would be if you lost the next two weeks, I think, in your two and six. But that's kind of about where I would – I'd say you you can panic about this season. I don't think I would panic about the program. Yeah, I mean, some of that's still – and we've talked about this several times. Some of that's still going to be what happens in the offseason and the portal and, yeah. and all those sorts of things. But, yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about vibes, I guess, culture, all those sorts of things, I think you still feel good about where – Beamer has you and you feel like he is the man for the job for rebuilding belief and, and positive vibes and all that. We've seen it over the past three years. Obviously, he, he just picked up a four-star recruit on Sunday after that loss. Like that was the most surprising. I was like, clearly this kid is impressed with our effort. On <laughs> well, or he or he saw that secondary and saw an immediate spot for him to play. <laughs> I have a um, job. <laughs> um, but I I think we we can give Beamer and his staff at least a, le a level of belief uh, three years in that they're not going to lose the locker room because we've seen some low points the past two seasons in which the locker room has been rebuilt. Um, I think it'll be impressive uh, if he can do it again because uh, this feels like this feels like a low point. Um, but as far as the trajectory of the program, this is something that we talked a lot about over the last couple of weeks because of the bye week and just having extra extra time and stuff. You have 16 commitments in the 2024 class, 10 of which are four star or above. Um, your 2023 class was the highest rated of the Beamer era thus far. Like there are, there's help coming. There's help there that's young and still needs to learn how to win, as you just said. Um, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a moment where there's this ongoing same issue that can't be corrected. Maybe the same way that this moment in the Will Muschamp era felt, for example, because I think three years into that experiment, when things started to get a little wobbly, you were like, okay, he can't field an offense in the SEC. Right. And that was like a consistent issue for three years. I don't think we've seen the same consistent issue throughout the Shane Beamer era. It's just, piecing it all together at the right time. And that just hasn't come to fruition so far this season. And I think I agree with your point on the whole translation of offensive and defensive coordinators on the field. I mean, and Shane Beamer, but like the players are just not experienced enough. And unless they just bench Xavier and everybody else and just nobody wants that either. Solely do imagine Jacksonville state and just us first line freshmen just only freshmen like i mean that's the only i mean they, they, they might play in this in the second half and and not for nothing rattler and Leggett are still fighting for their nfl futures um no and, again like i was very clear like yeah. that's not no, what you're gonna do you're not going to do that um 
All I would say, just talk about keeping the locker room, things not letting be twice. That start against Missouri is going to be very important because that's the kind of game where you can't have a hangover. You're on the road. Uh, you're against a team that's six and one, by the way. Mizzou's playing very well right now. Just went to Lexington and won by 17. Um, you can get in a hole in a hurry if you let last week linger against this team. And if that happens, then I think you are talking about things maybe going over the cliff, at least for this season. And I think my question for you, Alan, uh, being in that post-game press room, and I, I've read the comments and stuff, and I have, I guess, my opinion from a distance, but what were the vibes? Do you feel like that that is something that is likely to happen, that they're going to hold on to it and be hung over on this uh, road trip? Or do you think that there is a good hope that they're going to be able to rebuild it? Because at least from my perspective, I see comments like Debo Williams saying, like, he thinks that they should have won every game thus far. And it, it's just like an attitude <laughs> adjustment sort of thing or, or whatever, but that's what I'm saying. He's still got the positivity. You're talking about him being a senior leader or junior senior leader on, uh, on defense. So yeah. What, what do you feel about the attitude from what you were able to gather? I don't, well, I'll answer that two ways. One, I don't necessarily think that's what the scenario just laid out is going to happen. Or if it does, it won't be because of effort or heads dropping or last week beating you twice or whatever, just because Missouri's got a pretty good passing game. Um, so I would say I would start with that. And then second, angry. That is, there's been times there's been frustration, disappointment. That was the angriest post game. I think I've been in since I've been here. Your belly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, Chain's upset. They, they should have won a game. Debo was upset. Um, Try to think who else we had in there. Spencer, Juju, and did you played well too? That's another scored two touchdowns. Yeah, um, I can't even think of the fourth player was. There was one other defensive player in there, but oh, Tyreek Johnson who had a field goal block, which we hadn't even mentioned. Um, yes, I was gonna say, yeah, I uh, I know that they haven't been listening to my calls to play Juju more, but it was kind of nice <laughs> to see him to see him get some yes. uh, some touches in scenarios that made sense for him to get touches, although, um. I can't remember exactly what the play was, but there was a moment that it was not an obvious like third and short and or it was an obvious like third and short or second and short. And you would expect Mario have gotten to have gotten a carry and they handed it to Juju and it got outside like, the numbers for a first down. Yeah. Going towards the cockpit. I think I know what play you're talking about. Like yeah, that might have been the that first was one of, I, I just remember noting that as like we were hypercritical of that moment right. two weeks ago where he got a carry on third and one and got stuffed. Um, and then a similar scenario popped up and he got a first down. And of course, no one's even going to think about it or. Right. Well, that's what you said last week. That if you get the yard, no one cares about the personnel decision. The one in Tennessee. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, I think everyone take a breath. <laughs> uh, we, Pauline and I are both Carolina fans or we were Carolina fans before we were in the the journalism world. Obviously we're, we're trying, we try to stay a little bit more objective now that we're getting paid to, to cover them. Um, Alan did not grow up with Carolina fans, <laughs> um, but we were talking a little bit about how it, it was a gut punch, right? Like it, it definitely, I've thought about <laughs> the game uh, after the game more than maybe any game thus far in the Beamer era. Um, and I think it's because it felt like one that you should have won and it always, stings a little extra when uh, you lose in that fashion. That said, I think everyone needs to take a breath. Sky's not falling. I don't know that you bet on winning either of the next two weeks. Um, 
but let's let it play out. Uh, I don't think that this is a moment to start talking about burning it all down, even though I know that there's some catharsis to that if you're a fan. And if you do want to burn it all down, GamecockScoop.com Insiders Forum. <laughs> yeah. Oh, pl please give 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 us your opinions about uh, what should be burned down, what should be kept, all those fun things. Um, but at the moment, I don't know. I I, I feel like I, I tend to to sort of wear it on my sleeve, and I would let you know uh, if it was time. And I don't think we're any, anywhere close to that at the moment, no, personally. No, we're nowhere close to that. Um, yeah, I'll see y'all in Columbia next week. The other Columbia, the cold Columbia, although it's only supposed to be like the 50s this week. Yeah, so. Uh, and some other storylines uh, going into that game. South Carolina is 0-4 in the last four against Missouri. Shane Beamer has never beat Missouri. Um, obviously, it's a rivalry game, but the last, we assume the last like constant iteration of it, at least for right now. Or are they they are on the 24 schedule, but I don't know if that'll be an every year thing after 24. Right, we don't really, really know. Yeah. Obviously, the divisions are falling apart. Also, and it was a, a little bit of a weird game. I know there's yeah. a trophy, but I was about does to anybody say, care about Mizzou more than Clemson or Georgia or Florida or Tennessee? Like we have yeah. a lot of I'm sorry, maybe in basketball, but <laughs> it was it was always strange bedfellows to some degree, I guess. But uh, you know, it's it's become a little bit of a tradition. Mayor's Cup really, week. Get, get excited, people! There's been some really fun games in this yeah. series. And, uh, yeah, I mean, at least thus far in the Beamer era, this has been one of those moments where you, everyone counts them out. I know I'm not going to pick South Carolina to win this coming week, and they show up with a game out of nowhere. So we'll see if, if that happens. Um, we'll have plenty more coverage on GamecockScoop.com in the coming days uh, as we begin, begin to preview Missouri. Uh, we'll have some more recruiting notes. There were some other big-time recruits on campus this past weekend, uh, a couple of potential flip candidates. Um, I know one I'm thinking of off the top of my head is Cameron Fountain, who is committed to the other USC, um, but seems very much like he's leaving some doors open. So we'll see if, if South Carolina can pull that off or not. But uh, anyway, uh, we will be back here on Thursday to preview the Battle of the Columbias or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, in the meantime... <laughs> In the meantime, follow us at Rivals Gamecock on all social media. Subscribe to us on YouTube or your podcast app. And visit us at GamecockScoop.com. We'll see you.